This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday the 12th of August 2021. And Norman, I thought today that we could have a look through the research journals and just see what the latest is that we know about COVID, starting with one that has a very tantalising prospect. There's a group of researchers from New Zealand who reckon that we shouldn't rule out the prospect of actually eliminating SARS-CoV-2 altogether. Yes, they're, um, and it's an interesting paper. Most people have just given up because, well, vaccination rates are so low and um, the infectiousness is really high and it's a respiratory virus, but what they've done is they've scaled it in terms of elimination from what they know about smallpox, for example, and polio. And they actually, on the criteria that they use, they actually think that SARS-CoV-2, this, this coronavirus, is more susceptible to elimination than polio. And we got pretty close to actually eliminating polio from the world. It was really the... We were on track. Yeah, with Osama bin Laden in Pakistan and plots there. So we... we we got tantalizingly close. And really what they're talking about here is the ability to eventually get very widespread vaccination, to have other controls in place which limit spread, which is about social distancing, the ability to identify people with um, testing and contact tracing, ring immunizing around those people to actually create a protective environment around the people who are who are um, infected. I mean, rather than going into too much detail, they, they argue that we shouldn't just give up on this, that it's, it, it is possible eventually that this could be eradicated if we were determined to do so. It is definitely one of the conversations that was being had early in the pandemic that we could get on top of it. And then pretty quickly, it turned out that it looked way more contagious than we originally thought. And it was, you know, the messaging was, we're not going to get rid of this, so we need to learn to live with it. Do you think that there would be enough global will to try to stamp it out? Well, it is so expensive uh, in terms of social cost and financial cost that they're so disruptive, particularly if the variants come to mug us. I mean, the other variable here is the vaccines, is more effective vaccines that are more broadly uh, effective against the variants. There are lots of preconditions here but we are going to have to have a vaccination strategy that can cope with variants. Otherwise, we're going to be chasing our tail and not opening up. Israel is currently experiencing quite a bad surge. Britain has, the United States has. So these are serious issues. And at the moment, we're just not sure whether or not we're going to get vaccines that are going to be highly adaptable to variants. But if we do, then they're arguing that it's possible. It would be pretty exciting if the second disease we ever managed to eradicate in humans was one that emerged in our lifetimes. It would. And it would be ironic, given the conversation we've had about it so far, is that we've got to learn to live with it. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, you're talking about variant vaccines, and there's some pretty uh, good news coming out that Moderna might be particularly good as a booster shot. Yes, this comes from the Mayo Clinic. They've studied 50,000 patients. They essentially compared the effectiveness of Pfizer to Moderna and think that Moderna actually has a greater efficacy against the Delta variant. Why? Well, that's a very good question because it's very similar technology, but it could be that it's just a bit broader and deeper for some reason in terms of how the mRNA, in terms of what the mRNA holds the code for as far as the spike protein is concerned. 
And um, the, what the argument is here from the Mayo Clinic's the Mayo Clinic data is that Moderna might be the initial vaccine of choice as your booster shot in the face of Delta. Is it because, does it have anything to do with the fact that the Moderna vaccine has more of the kind of active ingredient in it than the Pfizer one does? Could be. I think that we're in an area, we're in a territory which we just don't fully understand some of this, some of what's going on here. But yes, it will be in the code of the mRNA and what it induces in the bloodstream, if indeed it's true. And on Moderna, some more good news for people with cancer. Yes, um, and this is likely to be uh, apply across the way across the board. We get lots of questions coming into Coronacast from people with cancer. Should I be immunised? The answer is yes. So this is a study in Italy, and what they found was that there was that people tolerated Moderna without any extra side effects, um, particularly in people who were being treated with radiotherapy. There was some indication of reduced effectiveness of the vaccine in people who have been immunocompromised. And that just goes to the issue about which we talked about before is whether people being treated for cancer need a third dose, call it a booster, but essentially a third dose to get the maximum immune effect. And this didn't really address that issue. It was more about the um, adverse effects of the vaccine um, in people with cancer who'd been treated with radiotherapy. Okay, so this is this paper looks specifically at Moderna, but you're saying it's probably going to be able to be generalised to other vaccines. Yeah, notwithstanding that we just had a conversation about how different Moderna was <laughs> with variants. Um, the, the, in other research, looking comparing the side effects of Moderna with Pfizer, their side effect profile is very, very similar. That's people with cancer. Often they are living with suppressed immune systems. And another group that has a similar uh, suppressed immune system is, of course, people with HIV. Yeah, well, they have they, they, they have a suppressed immune system, but not necessarily if they're well treated. But remember that COVID-19 is infecting countries which can have, like particularly South Africa, which have high prevalence of HIV. So a lot of people living with HIV where it's not necessarily as well treated as it is in a country like Australia or the United States, the United Kingdom, where there's effective multi-drug therapy, which gets you down to very low levels of virus and your immune system kind of returns to normal. You'd think there's quite a lot of information on HIV. So the initial information was that if you had HIV, um, you had a poorer outcome. From COVID. When you were infected with COVID. And the, what this paper does, and it's in the Lancet, Lancet HIV, suggests is that it's not as clear as it sounds. So there's, there's no doubt that if you've got HIV and it's affecting your white blood cells and your immune system, not in other words, not well treated, the outcomes with COVID can be bad. So HIV, it's not good if you've got um, a chronic HIV infection that's that's poorly treated and it looks as though it's more severe. However, it may well be overestimated in some of the kinds. So the news may be actually better for people with HIV than people think, but it's still a serious, what they call comorbidity here. And then the, um, the, and the other issue here is uh, vaccines and people with HIV, still a bit of an open question, but it may well be that that the, the situation uh, in people with HIV could be similar as people with cancer, that you might need an extra shot to actually boost your immune system. But the, bo the bottom line from this paper appears to be that if you're lucky enough to be living in a country where you're well-treated, 
it's not nearly as much of a problem as you've got in other countries. And just to round off this research wrap that we're doing today, Norman, one of the big things that has been a question mark for COVID has been its effect on the brain. And there's a better understanding now than there has been in the past about that. Yeah, this is a a piece in the conversation, which is a review of the scientific evidence by two researchers at the Florey Institute in Melbourne. And what they're showing is that the effects of COVID-19 on the brain are really quite profound, from loss of brain tissue through to cognitive impairment, through to prolonged brain fog. What causes some of this is unknown. It could be low-grade inflammation elsewhere in the body. So in other words, the virus is it's, it's not active infection by the virus, but it seems to be ongoing complications of, if you like, the afterburn of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and that causing inflammation elsewhere in the body. So I mean, what the bottom line about what they're saying is they don't know, but what's very clear is that the brain effects can be profound and long-lasting. Yet another reason for immunisation in this condition. And when things are happening in the brain, it often takes a really long time for those things to show themselves. It's going to be, I mean, terrible for the people who are living with it and also a very rich source of, uh, a, a rich area to investigate in the coming years. Well, it's going to be imperative to um, investigate it so that people can be helped should they have it. Just remember, there are millions of people in the world already who've been infected with this virus. It's an underestimate. Many will have brain effects and many will have brain effects for quite some time to come. And so depression, anxiety, psychological issues, cognitive issues, thinking problems, the list goes on. And the, you're, you're right, there's going to be an imperative to research to see whether there's an intervention that can make a difference. Have been indications that maybe immunization does a reset here, but the evidence on that is still pretty poor. Well, it's been a fun little trot through the journals, Norman. It's not always good news, but it is definitely good news to know that it's being studied so comprehensively. Yep, lots of stuff going on, and we'll continue to bring it to you as it comes to hand. If you've got questions or comments, as always, send them to abc.net.au/slash coronacast. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. Mm-hmm.